Welcome to Tits Up. When things go tits up, they're broken. Tits up can also mean brave up and get on with it. This is what we do as mothers. When things are broken, we pull up our big girl pants and we wade through the muck. I've asked mums on my Facebook page to share their questions about baby teeth. You might like to talk yeah. about oral development with dummies. And it can, dummies in particular have been suggested to have a, a bit of an impact on, on jaw growth as well. We've got to have that picture of what the children are going to want and what we want, and then try oh. and yeah, dovetail the two together because you're right, trying to persuade a 12 month old is going to be a lot harder. Um, mm. But it's a good idea to go to the dentist around about the age of one, 18 months anyway. Okay, so that's that's yeah. the time you would take a child for their first dental visit. Yeah, that's right. Just to answer all of these questions which we're talking about now. Supervised toothbrushing twice a day for two minutes with a fluoride toothpaste is what we're aiming for. It's just, yeah, we do. What is it? The motherly art of self-flagellation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maternal guilt, it never ends, right? Yes. And nobody says, where's the father? No, that's exactly... Yeah. Don't get me started, Pinky. That is a whole new topic. This episode of Tits Up is proudly sponsored by B-Box, an Aussie company on a mission to redefine everyday essentials for babies and kids. Hello and welcome to Tits Up. Our guest today is Dr. Carolyn Howard and we are discussing baby teeth. Carolyn's English. She moved to Oz with her husband in her 20s. She's a paediatric dentist and a mum of five. Four girls and a boy, and she said not in that order. Carolyn did her undergraduate dental degree in the UK, then worked briefly as a general dentist before returning to uni to complete a Master of Medical Science in Oral Surgery. In Australia, she worked as a general dentist whilst completing parts one and two of the Dental Fellowship and membership of the Royal College of Surgeons England. She started a three-year doctorate of clinical dentistry and paediatric dentistry at Melbourne Uni in 2000, and it took her five years to complete this as she had two kids along the way and was pregnant with the third by the time she finally finished. Caroline currently works in private dental practice as a specialist paediatric dentist, and you're in Melbourne, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. As is the Australian way, Carolyn and her Husband took the kids out of school and went camping for seven months. Her oldest is now 19, youngest is 11, which gives Carolyn time to try a few things for herself. And at the moment, that's CrossFit and painting. And in an effort to prompt her brain, she's midway through doing a grad cert in nutrition at Deakin Uni. For fun. What a high <laughs> achiever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just to see I've achieved all of the things I've written on that. So. <laughs> you don't get to Caroline. see the standard of my paintings. So. Oh, that's Thank all you. right. I, Thanks, I um, at the beginning of lockdown last year, I downloaded a painting class. You know, I joined this painting yeah. class and I did a painting and I thought it looked like a rose. My sister in New Zealand, when I flicked it off, she says, well, if that's what you say it is, that's what it is. <laughs> Maybe stand at the end of the drive. It might look better from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm definitely going for the abstract, you know, painting my feelings type pictures. <laughs> yeah, that right. could be anything, so. I found the yeah, alcohol ink was a super. You know, the alcoholics, because you can splash colour around and put your blow dryer yes. on. And yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then whatever happens, colors, it yeah. looks good. Oh, yeah, I'm with looks, you on that one. Yeah. So. Sometimes it looks like mud, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those, those are the ones where you're just practising. You paint over those ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy. 
Chuck on some more alcohol and we'll just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that could be a remedy for life, actually, Pinky. <laughs> just chuck on some more, alcohol, more alcohol and carry on. Yeah. Carry on, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, welcome, Caroline. Thank you. Thanks for that, Pinky. And firstly, what inspired you to become a dentist? I can't even imagine anyone wanting to be a dentist. <laughs> uh, I think I just, I lack imagination. So um, my auntie was a dental nurse briefly. And when I was about 11, I went to a, a garden party at her boss's house. And she had the most beautiful garden with a wall and a big tree and a swing. And I thought, if this is being a dentist, I quite like this. So I just stuck with that. So How awesome. Because <laughs> we only think of it, you know, as being the patient in the chair. We don't see the... No, that's right. I was like, I would like a walled garden. So yeah. Right. And then, yeah, just stuck with that one thought. And then here we are. Here we are. Yeah. She's a dentist, yeah, and a mum. Now, for something a little bit different on today's episode of Tits Up, I've asked mums on my Facebook page to share their questions about baby teeth. And I'm going to ask you these and see how many we can get through. And I've sorted them into categories. So I've got development, I've got feeding, I've got tooth care and things that might be problems with baby teeth. And there's one really popular question that so many of our listeners have yes. asked, and it's yep. pretty controversial, but we're going to be keeping, you know, I'll, I'll, you'll have to keep listening to get to that one. Yeah. And yeah, so you're in for a treat. Now, okay, I will, yeah, I, these as questions. many questions as we can. Let's okay, do we'll go for it. Yeah. So this one says, uh, this mum says, I'd love to know if there's any way to help a baby that's constantly suffering with teething pain other than all the ob- other obvious advice. And why do some babies seem to suffer worse than others? I'm glad you started with a question I can't answer, Pinky. Um, <laughs> there, <laughs> um, there is no rhyme or reason and why one tooth hurts more than another and baby teeth seem to cause problems when they come through, but the adult teeth, which are much bigger and coming through when you're sort of six onwards, they don't cause nearly the same number of problems. But I think the thing to remember is that it shouldn't be constant. So if the baby's having a constant problem, so constantly disrupted sleep or constantly grisly, constantly unwell, then it's probably something else. But if it's ups and downs, you know, a couple of days and then everything's okay for a month or two and then a few more days, it's more likely to be teething. And to remember that it doesn't cause temperatures. So, you know, often things are dismissed as being teething. And if you were me, everything was teething because I was looking for the reasons why the babies wouldn't sleep, especially the first one. Um, But it's it's often not teething. It could be something else. So to just discount the other things, which could be just getting, you know, overlooked. So and a fever, you definitely. Yeah, a fever. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's right. Exactly. And all the things that we often hear about being related to teething, like a, a red cheek or pulling your ear or particularly horrible nappies could be specific to a particular child but there's no real research which could say that it's always going to be that so you know sometimes as a mom you might notice something but it's Mm. that's more individual children and pulling of an ear is more likely to be an ear infection and a temperature more right more likely to be a little viral infection needs to get checked out or diarrhea need to go and make sure that they've not got some gastro related bug okay yeah that makes perfect sense now are teething gels harmful um, I think if you're just using them intermittently for a night or two, then you're probably going to be okay. You just wouldn't want to be using them long term. So the same sort of related to the previous question, if you've got 
yeah. long time, days and days, weeks and months where you've got an unsettled baby. It's not going to be all due to teething and you wouldn't want to be using something for a long time then. No, because sometimes people the... Panadol their kids too, don't they? You know, yeah, they're, yeah. they're using Panadol because it's That's right. teething and inverted commas and yes. you kind of go, you can't, get, can't go doing that. No, you don't want to do that all the time. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing about the the Panadol for babies is that it's really, really concentrated. So those drops for the little babies are more concentrated. So if you've got different ages of children, the older kids have got the least concentrated Panadol. But because you only want to give the little kids a tiny drop, you've got this really concentrated amount. So to always read the packet and don't mix up the the mills that you're giving. But yeah, you'd always start with Mm. the simple things first, the you know, yeah. The rusks are the cold things from the fridge. You know, massage yeah. the gums yourself with your fingers. The the stuff which is going to be the least invasive. Mm. You're right. You don't want to be yeah the cold face washer that's time. been frozen in the freezer. You that's know, right. now chomp on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Some crusty bread that you've you know baked in the oven. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Baby, oh, what age? would you recommend we stop using a dummy? Maybe just talk about dummies. This lady's had a baby's 10 weeks and has had a dummy since birth. But let's I, I personally wouldn't be giving a baby a dummy at birth because that would interfere with the breastfeeding. And you might like to talk yeah. about oral development with dummies. Um, well, I think that um, a lot of people might have a plan not to give a dummy, but then mm. <laughs> they're desperately going to do anything. <laughs> That's right, exactly. So um, I think if you're going to... If you're going to use a dummy or you've started using a dummy or the kid's already got one, you probably want to stop by the age of three as far as dental development goes. But it's quite hard to take a dummy off a three-year-old because they're not going to understand the reasons why you want to take the dummy away. Um, But they totally can make themselves heard when they want that dummy at two o'clock in the morning, like you say. So it's easier to take the dummy away from a baby who's like three months old than it is three years old. But if that kid's got the dummy in order to help self-soothe and settle, you've probably still got the same issues with the baby not settling. Um, And the reason why we want to not have a dummy after the age of three is because it can cause um, problems with the way the teeth bite together. So dummies in particular, because a bit of a narrow jaw at the back, so your teeth sort of biting and crossbite, and at the front, the teeth don't overlap. So the kind of space at the front where you'd leave the lettuce in the sandwich when when you bite, and it can, dummies in particular have been suggested to have a, a bit of an impact on, on jaw growth as well. So that's why we don't want the children to carry on with dummies. Right. And I guess it depends, you know, if you're just popping a dummy in to go to sleep, it's very different yes. to having a dummy all day long in your pocket yeah. ready to pull out and have a chomp on just because, just because. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And, and because every child is different, you could have, mm. annoyingly, one child who has the dummy 24-7 and there's little or no effect on their teeth. And then another child who has the dummy just to go to sleep and it has a really big impact. So we know that the dummies have an effect, but then you've got that sort of personal um, differences as well. So, yes, when the kid's getting older and you're getting to the sort of toddler age group, then and they're playing with something they probably don't need the dummy in then. So then you try and reduce it. Well, it's like finger sucking, isn't it? You know, as soon as they learn to crawl. Yeah, they're using their hands so their hand isn't going in their mouth that's, remember, very, that's very true yes they face plant that's right yeah yeah but I remember other older ladies saying oh you can get rid of a dummy but you can't get rid of the thumb and I sort of thought well actually once that you know close quite often about three months or so I know one of my daughters was I, I probably had I had two fat boys who would drink anything that came along and you know this girl probably didn't want the milk I had yes. by the time I got to the third baby so she'd come yep. off the breast and put her thumb in her mouth and 
had one dear friend who was very, um, yeah, had a first child and was very attached sort of parenting and um, thought that it was because she was my third child. I was far too busy to nurture her. So she was sticking her thumb in her mouth to self-soothe. And I said, no, she comes. And then one day she was with me and she saw her come off the boob and put her thumb in her mouth. Yes. And she just wants to suck. She just doesn't want the milk. Yeah. And, you know, by the time she was crawling, she didn't use that thumb anymore because she was using her thumb, her hands to discover and yeah. explore. So it wasn't really a problem. But I know some children do have thumbs that's for a right. lot longer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, yeah, and it, it is all to do a lot with self-soothing and then habits as, a, you know, because it's oh. an ingrained habit later on. So, um, and for thumb sucking, we probably would say around about six or so when the adult teeth are coming through is when we okay. really want them to so have stopped. I mean, if they stop early, that's it? good. But that's quite yes. liberal because yeah. I have often heard, you know, take the dummy or the, you know, away by 12 months. And I just go, no, to a three-year-old, it's, it's going to be much more, you know, yeah. you can talk to that child, you can, the dummy fairy can come and swap a toy or whatever. Yeah, that's it's a 12 right. months, I'll just can't understand really. No, that's right. And I think that, you know, we've got to have that picture of what the children are going to want and what we want and then try cool. and... Yeah, dovetail the two together because you're right trying to persuade a 12 month old is going to be a lot harder mm. um, but so you're either going to do it really early on when they're too little to complain and have you know a few weeks perhaps of unsettled behavior hopefully then it all just settles down or you wait until they're a little bit older and then you've got them a little bit on side you know you trade it for something that they get when they go to three-year-old kinder something where they feel like a big kid you like to right. say, give it to the dummy fairy something like that Yes, because I remember my first yeah. one had a dummy. The others never did, but the first one had a dummy. My my grandmother from New Zealand was mortified because only very low socioeconomic people gave their babies <laughs> dummies, apparently. I mean, I don't yeah. in the day, you know, and, and she was mortified. Yeah. Do not give him that dummy when you're out in public, you know, take it <laughs> off. And one of my cousins is a doctor and my, my nana said she'd visited him and she said, I don't know what sort of doctor he is. The kid had a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> And at about eight months, my child spat the dummy and actually literally grabbed at me for a boob. So yes. yeah. you know, that, they, they often just transition. Yeah, that's, that's what you hope. There's, yeah, there's some always of them. And others that, don't. They lock the dummy under don't. their that's pillow right. till they're, like you said, yeah. three years old. That's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, we've done some thumb sucking. Yeah. Haven't we pretty much? Uh, I think so. Yep. Not, yep. Does bottle feeding and or straw feeding affect your development? Uh, I would say no. So, I mean, you want to transition to some sort of cup after 12 months. Yeah, you wouldn't have a straw that long. I mean, semi cups have a bit of a straw, but generally, I suppose it depends where you are, if they're going to spill that drink somewhere. Yes, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every time (laughs) you give them a drink, it involves a full change of clothes, and that might be a bit bit annoying. But just because yeah. of the different sucking patterns and, you know, you want them to be able to learn to control um, tipping the water out of the cup as opposed to with a bottle or the, some of the sippy cups, you know, it sort of restrains the flow. So it's a bit mm. a bit of a different drinking pattern, but and not because it has any different jaw development. Right. But it, obviously if they're breastfeeding, they are using their jaw differently. Yeah, that's right. So yes, they're getting exactly. that nice wide. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, after, generally. yeah, that's right. And then after 12 months, you want them also to be able to drink from a cup because it's a different sort of pattern of swallowing. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, if baby teeth erupt out of normal sequence, is this a problem or an indication of anything? Uh, we do like things to erupt in sequence, but they don't have to be super specific. So 
I mean, we like your front teeth to grow before your back teeth. But if you were 12 months old and you had just the tip of a back tooth peeking through and you had the tip of a front tooth peeking through, it's not quite the right sequence, but we probably wouldn't worry then. But if you were two and you had back teeth and no front teeth, then we probably would want to Do look into why. Do you ever say why. that? Uh, it, it's pretty rare, but occasionally people are missing a tooth or if you were asymmetrical. So one side came through and the other side didn't come through. So you're usually talking slightly older children then, back teeth, um, where you might have one tooth which is stuck and can't come through. Um, but I mean, it is something that we look at, but it's generally pretty rare. And we're quite relaxed about it. Right. Don't want to panic too soon. Wait and see. Yeah, yeah that's right. dental work on babies. I mean, that's it. Work. We're probably not going to intervene and, and do anything. So depending on what it is that we find out or, or what it is we suspect, say if a child didn't have any teeth by a certain age, 18 months, um, are we going to do anything? Are we going to intervene? So then do we need to take an x-ray, for example? And if the answer right. is it's not going, yeah. if it's not going to affect our treatment, would we expose the kid to the x-ray? So it sort of depends on, on how old they are and whether it's like a unilateral delay or whether it's both sides. Because asymmetry yeah. worries, worries us a bit more sometimes. Okay. Okay, there's, oh yeah, here's the late teething girl at 19 months. She has eight teeth and one molar. Is there anything I need to be concerned about and should I take her to the dentist? Um, I think it's a good idea to go to the dentist anyway, but not because of that. So right. um, I would say I would say that doesn't sound particularly late. You know, first teeth mm. sort of six to nine months. So it actually all sounds within normal ranges. Okay. So she's got her, her, her front teeth and one back one peeking through. Sounds about right. Um, mm. But it's a good idea to go to the dentist around about the age of one, 18 months anyway. Okay, so that's that's yeah. the time you would take a child for their first dental visit. Yeah, that's right. Just to answer all of these questions which we're talking about now. Okay, yeah. okay. So oh, there's one more. When a baby has a very short, tight labial frenulum and has caused a large gap between the two front baby teeth, do you recommend a phren phrenectomy before adult teeth come through? with the hope of avoiding a permanent gap or braces, is it likely to even work? Thank you. Um, phrenectomies um, do work, but we usually do them later. So it's usually part of an over overall orthodontic treatment, um, which is when the kids are getting their adult teeth uh, and round about sort of 10 to 12. So when they've got their baby teeth, it's not unusual to have a gap in between your front teeth and the position mm. of the frenum changes as you get older. So sometimes that freedom's attached quite low when the kids are little. And then as they get into their primary school years, it actually moves up and it's not there anymore. It tends to have a bit of a sort of family background as well. So if mom or dad have got a gap or an auntie, then it tends to have more chance of being persistent. So we sort of watch and wait, see if it's going to be persistent. And then when they're getting that adult teeth, then you can decide if a phrenectomy is needed. And yes, they do work. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this yeah. is when we're talking about the what you call a lip tie, isn't it? Yes, that's hmm. right. Yeah, a lip for tie. people yeah, that don't quite it. know what yes. we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Right yep. now, we're getting on to feeding, and our question's going to come up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we had so many questions around night feeding and feeding to sleep. Now, yeah, I'll just I've just told Carolyn I've got five adult children. I've actually got a forty-seven-year-old who has never had a filling. So, so, you know, he was, he was about 
16 and the dentist said something about the wisdom teeth. I said, can you wait till he's a wage earner and see what's happening? <laughs> that's right. When he pays for himself. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. But anyway, um, they all did breastfeed till ripe old ages. They breastfed at night. Um, only one refused to breastfeed to sleep. And that was quite young. She wouldn't, you know, she was about yeah. 12 weeks old or something. And I was trying to give her the boob to help her settle because she had two larger brothers running around like lunatics. And she, yes. just, I had to go to the toilet, popped her in her bassinet. And it was like her whole body relaxed. Thank goodness my mother and her breasts have got out of my face. <laughs> and she just lay there, watched her hands and fell asleep. And I went, I've oh, got one that's self-settled. I've heard of those babies, you know. I've yeah. never met one, but I've heard no, of them. No, <laughs> but I would never have believed it. You know, and I sort of think one out of five I got, but, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, I got zero out of five for that one. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah, and it was much more convenient when you're travelling around, you know, if in doubt, flop it out, and the kid will just yes. quiet yeah. your arms and off you go or you're sleeping yeah. in a strange place. But anyway, the question is, can breastfeeding to sleep or overnight, can it, will it cause damage or decay? I've heard so many mums or moms upset after going to the dentist. So the short answer is yes, it can. Um, whether it always will depends upon the other factors that are involved because you get the genetic background for dental decay, depending on what type of saliva you've got, what type of enamel you've got on your teeth, the shape of your teeth. But there's definitely an association with being fed overnight and dental decay. And as we were talking about previously, it would happen with anything that you fed a baby with overnight or, or fed to sleep. But the problem is we only really do that with breastfeeding, which is why breastfeeding gets the tag, but it is anything. And the particular problem with overnight is that there's low saliva flow, which is usually what's causing the protection on your teeth and, and helping to neutralize any of the decay that might happen. But overnight, there's really low saliva flow, almost zero. Whatever you've got sort of coats your lower jaw rather than your upper jaw. Um, so you've got dry teeth and whatever's on there can then sit there and then the bacteria in your mouth can then use that to cause decay. But you might have two kids in the same family that you treat exactly the same, feed them both to sleep and one of them gets decay and one of them doesn't. So it's not quite so straightforward as you do this, you'll get that. But there's definitely an association between the two. Right. Yeah, because I always yes. thought with the breastfeeding... If they're actively sucking, the breast milk is, you know, the, the nipple goes up behind the um, hard palate yes, and the milk squirts yes. down the throat. So there isn't pooling. Yeah. But like you I mentioned, sometimes yeah. there is. Yeah, it's that sort of sleepy feeding, you know, falling off the breast with the milk still dribbling out of the corner of their mouth, that kind of, um, that kind of sort of milk just pooling there. And I suppose the thing with feeding to sleep is it generally tends to be, well, when, when I was doing it, um, it's a short feed, you know, it's just a little bit and then the baby goes oh. back to sleep as opposed to doing that rollover feed where you deliberately go and pick the baby up, do a rollover feed at 11. And then maybe there's another feed in the early hours, four o'clock or something where the full feeds, it's the sleeping overnight that every 40 minute wake up in that sleep cycle just a little bit of a slurp, 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 which is not really nutritional. It's more from the settling point of view. So mm -hmm. those are the those are the associations with with the feeding overnight. And if you on demand fed, as we were saying before, a plate of broccoli or a cheese sandwich or a bottle of formula, it would all have the same effect. But it's associated with breastfeeding because that's 
the age group of child that we're talking about. I mean, if I had a cheese kid, sandwich. Yeah, what about putting the kid to bed with a bottle? Because quite often parents do that too, the toddlers. Because I was thinking with, when you say that, I was thinking with little babies, that milk drunk sort of in their mouth, that's yes. when you have quite a big supply, you know, a bigger supply. Yeah. So by the time they're toddlers, I, I yeah. found my supply wasn't that big. So there was no milk drinking out of dribbling out of their mouths anyway. So maybe because I'm just thinking, well, why am I okay? You know, like. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's And I mean, with my, with my first, well, all of mine had sleep problems. So all of them were being yeah. fed and definitely the first one was being fed to sleep oh, 10, 11 times a night. It, yeah, it's a nightmare yeah. that still still haunts me. It's still haunts um, But she, I know, <laughs> she didn't end up with any decay. None of them had any decay. So, um, I, but I think that's, from my point of view, is just good luck. It's not, it wasn't that there was good management. I just got lucky. Whereas other people will have children who feed to sleep for a short amount of time. And then when I see them in the surgery, their kids have got really big holes. And we're ending right. up doing a general anaesthetic, taking teeth out, root canal treatments, even on little oh. under twos. Oh, um, gosh. So, and it's often in that age group, they're often a bit resistant to having their teeth brushed. They're feeding, yeah. like grazing all day as well. You know, just sort of that pattern of feeding because they don't usually sit down and have three big meals, you know, that sort of snack through the day. So they're quite high risk for decay because of other factors that are going on. Um, they're, you know, lots of, carbohydrate-based meals, you know, crackers, bread, soft foods, as well as being resistant to being to having their teeth clean, as well as potentially still being fed overnight. So it's the whole picture. It's a whole pattern, yeah. It's a whole yeah. pattern. And what yeah, they're eating right. during the day. I mean, things like sultanas would be really sticky on teeth, yes. wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a particular pattern of decay that's related to the overnight feeding as opposed to, right. which is usually front teeth. Um, and it's up around the gum line. It's just that area where just all the plaque and the bacteria and the milk pools. So top so teeth why rather would it than bottom teeth. Top teeth when... Well, it's because your tongue is covering your lower teeth and whatever saliva you do have pools in your lower jaw. Whereas your top teeth oh, are the ones that are out okay. there in the breeze when you're asleep with your mouth, or the kids are asleep with their mouths open. So okay. they're the ones that get dry. So it's not sort of, it's not that the milk is pooling there. It's just up around the gum line on those teeth. There's a crevice where this sort of, uh, natural harboring of the bacteria, bits of milk. So that sort of decay pools around that area. So it sort of adds to it. Yes. Yeah, than that's it. right. Yeah, so yeah. some kids are just unlucky. Yeah, yeah. that's right. But so you're seeing them in the... In yeah, the that's right. And we definitely yeah. do see it. Yeah, we definitely yeah. do see it. Yeah. But it's nice to know that you did that with your own kids. So the mum's not going to get blamed. Yes, told she's wrecked her child. No, that's right. Sanity <laughs> comes yeah. first and we all need sleep. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Um what else have we got? Oh, that one. And then how much damage are we doing to our little one's teeth when using sugary food or fruit pouched food, fruit pouches? Yes. So, um, well, the fruit pouches, because they're relatively new, there's not that much research um, about the effects of a fruit pouch. But we know fruit juices are bad for teeth and oh. fruit itself, like if you have a piece of fruit, that's not bad for teeth. So you yeah. would imagine that fruit patches are somewhere in between. You know, it's kind of a bit like drinking a juice. So it tends to sort of get around all those teeth and um, gets in all the little nooks and crannies. And probably you would imagine in a fruit patch, you've got a lot more fruit than you would have if, it, have if you just had an apple or some slices of apple. So the actual mm. amount you're consuming in a pouch would potentially be more. So I think it probably wouldn't be as bad as fruit juice, but not as good as having the actual piece of fruit. So we're going to put it. To... We're going to put it in the middle. Right. So if you yes. had a pouch, would it be better to just squeeze it onto a spoon? 
and then they would um, get the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I think, mouth. yeah, definitely when we're looking at decay, it is to do with what you eat, but also the frequency of when you eat it, um, how you eat it. Like you're right, if it just goes straight down the hatch as opposed to if it just sort of hangs around in your mouth. So stickier foods are worse because they stick to your teeth and they're there for longer. And it depends what, what time you eat it. So if you had your fruit patch just with a meal, then you've got other things in your mouth which are helping to sort of move the saliva along, move the food out of the way, as opposed to if you just had it when you're in the stroller going around the shops and you just have a oh, right. quick slurp yes. every now and then. And really it takes you half an hour to eat it. And when I say mm. it takes you half an hour, Pinky, not you. I mean, the <laughs> no, I've never eaten a fruit patch. <laughs> not imagining you're doing that. <laughs> So, yeah, so if you had a fruit patch and you just sat there straight down the yeah. hatch, then you had whatever other food you were having, it's going to have much less of a detrimental effect. Beepbox is an Aussie company on a mission to redefine everyday essentials for babies and kids. They want to support little people to learn, and empower them to be independent and confident in their ability, all the while making parents' day-to-day -day easier. Beebox was founded by two mums that have been there and know firsthand that every little bit helps. You might know Beebox for their popular sippy cups, snack boxes and lunch boxes, but we've got news on their latest innovation. Beebox is now bringing some teething relief to your grizzly tots with their new teether range, the Trio Teether three textured teethers on one handy customizable ring and the wrist teether designed to wear as a bracelet for easily accessible teething relief and to stop the drop. Want to know more? Head to beboxforkids.com. Bebox have a generous offer for Tips Up listeners too. 20% off for you across the whole Bebox range, including the new teethers. Use the code PINKY20, that's all lowercase P-I-N-K-Y, 20. Please note the discount is not applicable to licensed Disney or Sanrio X B-Box items. Shipping or already discounted items. Limit to one use per customer. And the expiry date is the 1st of March 2022. So head over to bboxforkids.com. B-B-O-X-for-kids.com and use the code PINKY20. Okay, now this one is, it'd be great if you could discuss how sharing food, drink, utensils and therefore mouth bacteria if your baby could increase the risk of tooth decay. You know, I see the mums would pick up the dummy, suck the dummy, lick the dummy clean yes. and pop it in baby's mouth. Yep. Are they transferring? Well, to get decay, you do need to have the bacteria that causes the decay and you're not born with that in your mouth. To have that, you need to catch it off somebody and you need to have hard tissues in your mouth. You need to have teeth. So before you have teeth, the bacteria has got nothing to stick onto and colonize. But once you've got teeth, then any bacteria or the, the dental decay to cause, causing bacteria can stick on those hard surfaces. And of course, the main place where we get all of our bacteria is usually from our mom's primary caregiver, but it's usually mom, of course. And if you share utensils, then that's how you're going to pass the bacteria. So in theory, you could not inoculate them with this bacteria by not sharing utensils. And the longer you delay this 
bacterial colonization, the less chance of decay the kids have got. I think in reality, I mean, we're all hugging and kissing and squeezing oh. and cuddling our kids anyway. So we're probably just going to give them the bacteria from kissing them. So I, th I think the reality is they're probably going to get it even if we don't share utensils. But that's the reason why they say don't share utensils. Right. Okay. Yes. Because I have heard that before, you know, that yes. thing, the dummy, you're passing on that. Is it strip mutants, the bacteria? Yeah. 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 Okay. Now, tooth care. You've just talked about when they should have their first dental visit. So yep. brushing, how important is a brushing routine once teeth have cut through and what should that look like? I you know, a couple of minutes, morning and night, what should it really look like? Yeah, that's it. I don't need to answer it, Pinky, because you answered it in the question. So you're right. As oh, soon as they <laughs> answered it. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. As soon as you get teeth, then you want to start brushing. Um, and before that, maybe you're doing a bit of cleaning with a bit of a face washer just to get the kids used to having something done. Um, so you're just sort of wiping around their mouth. Um, toothbrushing, supervised toothbrushing twice a day for two minutes with a fluoride toothpaste is what we're aiming for, whether or not it actually <laughs> She's happens. She's a five. But Did that's what we're aiming for. Who wouldn't open their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, exactly. So, um, I mean, it's one of those things that we can't not do. But we don't want yeah. it to become an enormous battleground where they see a toothbrush and run screaming down the corridor. And um, them down and stick it in their mouth. That's right. So yeah, exactly. Yes, which I have done actually. So, <laughs> so, um, so yes, I think that all the things that we we know, you know, modeling, following what the other kids are doing, standing with mom and dad, everybody brushes their teeth, and you're still going to get toddlers who don't want to do it, but you just keep trying. And eventually, hopefully, they tow the party line. Because like we've already said, they're at a particular age group where they're really at risk of getting dental decay. Getting dental treatment for this age group is really hard. Often yeah. ends up in a general anaesthetic because they're not going to be compliant to sit still in the chair. So it is something that we've got to try and do within mm. the parameters of the fact that the owner of the teeth is two or whatever age they are. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes, you've mentioned that tips of yeah. oh, options for sensory avoidant kids and what to aim for to meet a minimum dental health care. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably pretty similar to the last answer. I mean, as a yeah. minimum, we want to try and get a toothbrush in there, a bit of fluoride toothpaste, but it's a case of just keep trying. And it depends on the child. Like some kids might do better with an electric toothbrush if they've got particular sensory issues that maybe you start on the outside of the cheek, they learn to like that feeling. And other kids would run a mile from a, an electric toothbrush with the vibrating and the noise. So it depends who they are. Um, and I think it's just slowly, slowly, a little bit of acclimatization, just trying things a little bit, maybe a face washer, maybe an electric toothbrush, maybe a manual toothbrush, but just keep going and just keep trying. Right. And then do it themselves or... Yeah, that's it. Whether they have one toothbrush on one side and you've got a toothbrush in the other side, maybe yep. they brush their teeth in the bath, maybe just a particular routine that you mm. try and establish for whichever child it is with sensory issues or otherwise, just establish the routine and those good practices for the rest of their lives. It's just yep. with those kids with the sensory issues, it's going to take a lot more mm. trial and error and acclimatization. And someone said, oh, about is toothpaste, if a child doesn't like toothpaste, is water enough? Um, fluoride toothpaste would be the ideal. But again, if they're going to refuse to open their mouth, if you put fluoride toothpaste on the toothbrush, 
Um, then water is better than nothing. Sometimes it's the minty taste of the tooth, the toothpaste. Lots of kids don't like the minty taste. There are a couple of non-minty or one non-minty toothpaste out there with fluoride in it. So you could try that. And the difficulty is that pretty much all the adult toothpastes are minty. So eventually you're going to have to mm. transfer to mint. Um, but yes, it's the same okay. thing. You're going to aim for the fluoride toothpaste, which is minty. Just keep and another kid. Is this all eating the toothpaste? Should she be worried? <laughs> um, so, well, I mean, if it's a very small child, like a like a 12-month-old, and this 12-month-old is eating the adult toothpaste, yes, she should be worried. She should hide that adult toothpaste. Um, if it's a case of the, t- the kid is, like, sucking the toothpaste off the toothbrush um, rather than brushing it around their mouth, then if it's just what she's applying to the brush, then that's probably okay. Just apply but yeah, less. The ad- <laughs> what was that? Just apply less. Apply less and hide the tube. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And when children insist on brushing their own teeth, um, you know, do they, is that okay? You know, I mean, certain amount of the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I mean, ideally, we want the kids to have the dexterity to be able to brush around all the corners of their teeth. And often we say that that's a similar amount of dexterity that you need um, as if you were tying your own shoelaces in a knot okay. that doesn't come undone. That's I know. So often, <laughs> often by the time the kids can tie their own shoelaces, they're not interested in brushing their own teeth by that stage. But yeah, the little kids, it's probably a case of some sort of negotiation. I mean, they brush first, you brush second, or they have a brush in one side or you do the brush on the other side, they do the morning, you do the night, some sort of negotiation because they're not going to have the dexterity, but yep. they do have the willpower. So mm. yeah. you don't a want negotiation. to stop that. Yep. No, that's right. And they've got to learn. They have to learn how to do it. So it is that sort of, yeah, yeah. a little bit of both. Right. Oh, someone else has asked how to floss a kid's teeth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that on Instagram when I was looking at mum dentist you know before someone referred me to you and I went "Ah, that's a pretty high standard (laughs) it is a pretty high standard (laughs) (laughs) yes you're right on those kids you're definitely not going to get the flossing so for dental decay in children's teeth it's in between the teeth in the little bit where the floss goes that's the most common place to get decay whereas adult teeth you're probably more likely to get it on the biting surface of the teeth So that's the reason why people say to floss children's teeth, because the toothbrush is not getting in that little spot. And then as a secondary point, it's a really good habit to build for when you're an adult and then you might have periodontal disease. And then flossing is going to be helpful for preventing that. But you don't need to floss your kids' teeth when they don't have contact points. So some children have got spaces in between their teeth when they first erupt. And then from the ages of three, four onwards, then those spaces close. Some children have got no spaces from the beginning. So you don't have to do it for every child from the moment they get teeth, only when they've got contact points. Yes. And it's the same. <laughs> so, yeah, thank goodness, a few for that. Um, it's the same thing. You're just going to try it, slowly build up to it. And the best way to do it would be to either stand behind the child or get the kids to lie down so their head's on your knee, like as if you were the dental chair. So you're behind right. them and then you can see what's going on. So how often some do you people, have to floss? Oh, well, I mean, in a, in a perfect world, if yes. the teeth weren't owned by a toddler, then mm. you would be doing it every day. Yeah. But 
we're, we're aiming for perfection. Right. But we're, no, we're not, we're not necessarily <laughs> ever achieving it. Where but that's is that what perfect child for. and where is that perfect parent? <laughs> I know. I've never met them. I don't think they exist. But at least if are. we know what we're aiming for, then right. we've got more chance of doing it. So, so that was and a that male there's... dentist with no children who suggested oh, yes. that, obviously. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. Or, or a female. I mean, someone with <laughs> or no female. children. Or, yes, yeah. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> so the little flossettes work quite well as well, just before we go on. Okay. The little, the floss on the holders. It's easier okay. to get into the kids' mouth sometimes rather than, yeah, actual putting your hands in there stuff yeah yes that's right yep okay now there's we've got onto the special needs actually we're busting through these we're doing really oh, well goodness. look at us go yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I saw these sheets and you know there's like about 150 questions and I'm thinking <laughs> oh my goodness we'll be here for a week answering no that's right questions. you're gonna have to make up a few extra questions at the end for me yeah so <laughs> onto sort of problems or special needs now grinding and this mum's asked why and will it cause damage and she can hear her son through the monitor at night. He's only two. And there's another lady who says, is there a way to stop the grinding? She also grinds her teeth, but she wears a gum shield. And she was going to try one with her five-year-old, but not sure if there's another optional solution. So, so it's really common. It's almost common enough to be called part of normal development, almost. Um, and it sort of goes in cycles. So sounds really terrible they make a huge noise drives everybody crazy and then they stop and we all breathe a big sigh of relief and then they start again so it does it does drive people crazy but it doesn't have the same implications that grinding as an adult does because lots of adults who grind or clench their teeth also have you know locking jaw joints muscle pain spasms whereas the children who grind their teeth don't have any of those issues we're more looking in the children to see if they're grinding their teeth away. So most baby teeth have got some sort of sign of wear and tear because they're only small, the enamel's quite thin, so they do show signs of wear as time goes on. But we're looking to see if there's any pathological wear, so if they're wearing those teeth away. And if they are, which is pretty rare, but if they are, then um, it depends how old they are. Because if it's a two-year-old, they're definitely not going to tolerate having some sort of splint in their mouth to protect their teeth, which wouldn't stop the grinding. It just protects their teeth. So they grind the splint away rather than grind their teeth away. So that would only be appropriate for older children. And most of the older children, before they lose their baby teeth in the sort of primary school years, still wouldn't keep a splint in their mouth very well. It still would disappear in the middle mm. of the night and you'd never find it again. It'd be under the bed. <laughs> um, so in theory, for those children, if they really are grinding their teeth away, um, then we crown those teeth. So I've never had to do that for, for grinding. Um, and the same thing, it doesn't stop the children grinding, it just protects their teeth. Right. Right. Yeah. So, but a pretty rare instance that would have to do that on a child. Hmm. And is it is it yeah. sort of a stressy reaction? Is it? Yeah, I think does anyone know why they do it? Not really. Just one of those developmental things. You know, they're going through all those physiological changes, hmm. so growth spurts, development. So it's just associated with all of those other physiological changes that are happening for the child. So. Um, you might find that maybe they grind more when they go to primary school or, or some sort of, which you could say was a stressor, mm. um, but it's not related to the child being stressed. They're not stressed out. Yeah, yeah. 
it's yeah, more yeah, like yeah. a physiological change that's yes going i on. guess that's probably yeah. more i was getting at rather than yes. parents thinking oh my child's stressed i must no that's right yeah go, and there's so know. many kids do it that's right so yeah. many kids do it so yeah right and for kids with crooked teeth at what age do you um start remedial action so usually it's when they're losing their last baby teeth so it's usually when they're between the ages of 10 and 12 and would refer them off to go and see an orthodontist there are a occasions when maybe we might send them a little bit earlier if there was an adult tooth that couldn't get into their mouth because the teeth were so crowded that it was blocked out completely um mm -hmm. or cross bites we might send the the kids off to the orthodontist earlier that's where the top jaw might be narrow compared to their bottom jaw and maybe they need an expander so that's um, okay. that's a that's often an age related thing so around about the age of eight or nine but yeah you really need to wait until that adult teeth are through because otherwise you move the teeth, if you move baby teeth, well then the adult teeth will be in a different place. And also mm. they're going to change their mouth grows. Adult teeth are a different size than the baby teeth. And you don't want to be moving any teeth if you've got other teeth underneath the gums because you could bump into those teeth and damage the tooth roots. So it's a way to So don't game. worry about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, go later. Pretty much, That's it. go later. Yeah, exactly, when they're in the adult dentition. Okay, well, seeing we've got time, I have got another one, which I thought was going to be another whole topic. Um, okay. Tongue ties that affect feeding. Now, this mum has obviously got several children. Yeah, she says, if I'd been told earlier, our feeding journey would have been so much easier. Third child, I knew exactly what was going on. So still a very hard slog feeding, but got the right help at eight days old. Even when I was told by the hospital on discharge, ties shouldn't affect feeding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and look, this be this becomes quite a controversial. I mean, as a lactation does, consultant, yeah. this becomes quite a controversial topic <laughs> because we have mums on, you know, social media showing each other their photos of their baby's mouths. I've had mothers send photos to me. Is this a tie? And I go, well, you need to go and have someone who's going to check that oral function right. of that baby. You can't yes. just look at a photo and go, that's a tie. Go and get it. Exactly. That's right. I, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. You need to you need to have a proper assessment, like you said, with somebody who watches the whole feed, because it's not just on the anatomy, it's also on function. Yeah. So somebody who knows what they're doing, like you say, like a lactation consultant, a midwife, somebody needs to diagnose the functional issue. And once yeah. it's been diagnosed, decide whether or not there's any other options, sort of non-surgical intervention whether surgical intervention is the way to go. And if it is, then refer on to somebody who does that, who does the tongue tie. And it doesn't, there's no particular group of people who are better to, to surgically resolve a tongue tie. It could be an ENT surgeon. It could be a pediatric dentist. Um, it just needs to be somebody who does it all the time and knows what yes. they're doing. Yeah. Mm. And so it's not that every pediatric dentist, for example, I don't treat tongue ties. Right. Um, but there are other there are other paediatric dentists who do. Um, it, it just needs to be somebody who does it all of the time so that they're good at what they're doing. But you need to, exactly like you said, you need to have that proper functional diagnosis first. Yes. And that, that yeah. person who you go to, again, you know, the person I refer to will sit with the parents for half an hour, observe a feed, check yes. that, you know, he has lactation consultants working with him. They check the function yeah. again. And I always say he's seen a lot more tongues than I do. Yes, I can yes. feel a tie, but whether it needs to be done. And then yeah. you decide as a parent whether you want to wait and see or whether you want to do it. That's you right. Know, it's exactly. impacting the feeding. You probably do want to do it, but there may be other yeah. things that you might want to opt for body work. Yeah, um, that's right. Exactly. And you need else. the 
the ongoing support afterwards because it's not yes. just chop the tongue tied, that's it, Bob's your uncle, you're done. You need the ongoing support to make sure that everything is still working afterwards. And there are lots of instances of having to do repeat tongue tie surgery um, and there is risks with any surgery. So yeah, you're right, need to need to weigh up all the pros and cons and see mm. somebody who does it all the time. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another lady here who's had a revised tongue tie. She said the baby couldn't latch and it was very restrictive. She said, any chances of needing speech therapy, even if they have a full range of tongue movement? Is there a connection? Three-year-old with a fantastic vocab and terrible with sounds. I'd personally be saying, go and see a speech therapist. Yeah, that's right. Because as you know, speech is to do with hearing, processing, as well as being able to move your tongue in the right directions, as well as the anatomy. So it sounds mm. like there's good anatomy, the tongue tie has already been resolved, but that's not the only thing which is going to impact speech. So yeah, off to a mm. speech pathologist. And speech therapists can, you know, the, the paediatric ones, are they trained to look at all this yes, that's function right. yes. anyway? Yes. yes, function and anatomy. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's pretty good, isn't it? These questions. Yeah. There yeah. you go. What a treat. <laughs> now, a question I ask all the mums, we're going to flip to something personal now. <laughs> yeah, we all have our tits up moments as mothers and with five kids I've got five kids too and I can tell you <laughs> I had four in 10 years then had a bonus baby when my oldest one was nearly 18 oh <laughs> watch out well, there you go yeah yeah <laughs> five, five and eight years so I can't yeah. remember it <laughs> yes um it was a surprise um yes I bet <laughs> I call him the bonus baby <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, it's a good phrase, that one. Because it was a bonus. Like, it was, yeah, you know, after that initial shuffle, it was fantastic. And having four yeah. older kids, you could have someone there to hold the child while you had a shower. That's right. It was all Pass very... the wipes. Yeah. 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 Um, can you tell us about a personal tits up mummy moment with your own kids? And that can be any, any age. It can be funny. It can be hard. It can be embarrassing. Uh, well, I think it was all anything to do with sleeping was all a tits up moment for all of them so I remember with my oldest walking around the streets pushing the stroller the same route every day just crying and thinking people would be looking out of the windows at me wondering what on earth was going on but just I could not get her to sleep so she was fed to sleep um, stand, standing the cot on um, telephone directories, you know, just two legs on telephone directories, just yep. in case it might have been reflux, even though there was no evidence, <laughs> just anything always keeping her awake. And uh, yeah, I tried, yeah, definitely tried the sensory deprivation method of sleep, you know, taping up black fabric at the window. Oh, that's right. That was the fashion about then, wasn't it? Oh, to yes. Taking the light out. Whole, yeah, absolutely. No lights. Carrying the babies around in the little baby carriers, but zipping them up underneath a big fleece, you know, strapped to my to my front, so that they couldn't see anything, they couldn't hear anything, they couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> they could hear yeah, your heartbeat, so, so they weren't totally derived. Right. Yeah, that's right. Friends used to joke that they only ever saw my children's feet just hanging out of the bottom of the big jacket I was wearing. So, yeah, so sleep was a pretty big deal. So. Mm. tried the tried everything and still didn't actually manage to solve the problem until they were all about two so and listening yeah. to all the things you do are yes. you a pretty high energy person because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something genetic you know whenever uh, I see kids that you know how adults need some adults have high sleep requirements you know they yes. need eight to ten hours every night to even function and then I find people often they're athletic 
or yeah. they've got the busy brains or something like that and or hospitality workers they have kids yes. who don't sleep because they're the high energy people who you know they probably function brilliantly on about five or six hours of sleep at night if that yeah I think I think I'm a bit all or nothing so maybe that's what the the kids have now learned that but to begin with they weren't like that so yeah I definitely need my sleep but if I'm awake then yeah pretty yeah, high energy if I'm awake go. yeah if yeah. I'm awake that's yeah. right yeah. <laughs> yeah so you know whatever it is you don't you can't blame yourself I remember no, well, yeah, that's the thing. But that you don't really realise you can't blame yourself until after the fact. You spend a lot of time blaming yourself yes. when you when you're in the problem. It yes. does feel like it's all down to you. But I remember yeah, going to a right. lovely GP, and you know, he's a lovely family doctor, and his wife went to play centre with us. So I was in New Zealand at the time, and um, I was pregnant with my second baby, and the first one was still waking up. You know, it was about yes. know, somewhere between fifteen and eighteen months, probably getting his yeah. molars at that stage. It probably yeah. was. And I remember saying to him, because people were giving their kids Finergan at that stage. Oh, and I yeah, said yeah. to him, Can you give me something to make this kid sleep? And he said, Well, short of a rubber hammer, you know, he said <laughs> consolation. He said, Our kids woke up till they were at least two years old. And I oh. thought, Oh, he hasn't helped me. And then I thought, actually, it can't be all my fault. He's a no. doctor. He's a no. That's right. Yeah, you exactly. Know, he knows everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I met a I met a midwife, and she was having the same problem with her third child. And I was like, "See, it's not me. Yeah. It's not. It's yeah, but not it's just someone me. else that's got more children than you when it's your first Yeah, that's wife. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. I did. I was pretty certain it was all my fault. So. Mm. Oh, we mm. beat ourselves up. It's just yeah, we do. What is it? The motherly art of self-flagellation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maternal guilt, it never ends, right? You just yeah, transfer, like it, transfer, transfer it from one thing, thing to the next. Doing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if you're, you know, your 16 year old's caught with alcohol or something, you're, yeah, you blame exactly. yourself. What am, I, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> we say that as my 17 year old is in his biology exam for VCE. If he right. does well, it's, it's down to me. If he does terribly, it's down to me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all your fault. Yes. And nobody says, where's the father? No, that's exactly. Yeah. Don't get me started, Pinky. That is a whole new topic. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. The number of people who'd come in and say, so who's looking after your children when I would be at work? I I would like to take a bet that nobody asked my husband who was like looking after his no. children. <laughs> Oh, you're so, so right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, he's looking after your children. How dare yeah. you not be looking after your children? No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> always said, ni always said nicely, just... of course. Yeah. I know, but what are they running around the street while you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I forgot. <laughs> it should Out have looked after dummy them. dummy sitting in the park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what's your best tip? This is another one I ask everybody too. What's your best mm. tip to be the mother you want to be? Oh, my goodness. This is an impossible question to answer. Um, I don't have the correct amount of self-awareness to, <laughs> to be able to answer this one, Pinky. I mean, I think just from for me, don't give anybody else any advice, says me at the end of a podcast, um, and just try and be more patient with yourself and the kids. I mean, I think that would make me a better mom. I don't know about everybody else out there, but for me, more patience. But I think being patient with yourself. Yes. It's just yeah, as important right. as being patient with your kids. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, yeah. Everybody needs a handle with care moment every now and then. So, Ooh. yeah. Yeah. Especially the moms or dads. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know that the dads take it. I actually did um, interviews with dads and asked them about guilt. 
Oh, yes. And they did not have a clue what I was talking about. No, that's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, not a clue. I remember, yeah, getting up, getting the kids ready, making it to work and not having had any breakfast. And there's no way my husband would do that. He would very yeah. sensibly and quite correctly say, well, you can't look after anybody else if you've not fed yourself. And I'd be, yeah, yeah but if I don't feed them, then I'll feel guilty and then I'll be late and then I'll miss my first patient would never have crossed his mind. No, they, they could rationalise everything. Even when I ask questions like, um, you know, you travel a lot with your work. Do you ever feel any sense of missing out or guilt? Oh, no, because when I'm with them, I'm totally with them. Yeah. You know, like that, whereas yeah. a mother who travelled with her work and was away for two and three weeks at a time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You, you feel guilty if you go and guilty if you stay. So, yeah, so yeah. it was just, I mean, a mother could go away for a weekend and she'd feel terrible. Yeah, that's that right. No. <laughs> but but yes. a guy could go away with his mates for a week and, yeah. you know, go that's camping a, or not something. Even, that's right, yeah, exactly. It's, not, it's yeah. not a thing. So I think it's very different for women and men and I think so being kind to yourself is yeah. being patient with yourself because even think, when you lose it, you still need to be patient with yourself. Yeah, that's right. And then don't beat yourself up over that. Just take move a deep on. breath. Try and do better, but, yeah, just move on. Mm. Don't, yeah. Because you're not looking out the rear window when you're driving along. You, you, no, you that's look right. out the and front think, and that's where you're going. Yeah, I think that definitely when the kids are young, we do have a tendency, or definitely I did, to, you know, they're not sleeping properly, so their brains aren't developing, and it's my fault. I have to teach them how to sleep. And I, But, no. Like just say, your to. kid's already, you know, he's doing yep. his BCE, he's, he's, you know, he's yeah. doing all right. He's Yeah, that's right. He's got yeah, yeah, exactly. through. <laughs> yeah. He'll manage his biology. He'll right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His yep. brain will be fine. Well, thank you so much for sharing all these that's quite okay. tips, mum and teeth tips and dentist tips. And, yeah, that's fabulous. So, and I'm sure that's going to help a lot of mums. I hope so. You know, I hope so. They put their minds at rest around these things. So see you, Pinky. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Tits up, ladies. Pull up your big girl pants. We can do this. We are mothers. In the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of this country and their connection to land, water and community. We pay our respect to them, their cultures and customs and to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tits Up. This podcast was produced by Dave Stokes. For more information, connections with our guests and special offers from our show sponsors, please pop over to my website and check out the show notes, www.pinkymccabe.com. I would love it if you could please share the love by leaving a review. Five-star reviews will help other mums to find this support and information too.